This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 28, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. The Supreme Court has thrown out the public corruption conviction of former Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell. The court was unanimous in throwing out the verdict, so what does this mean for similar cases? Kevin Ring is vice president for Families Against Mandatory Minimums. He himself served time in prison on similar charges of so-called honest services fraud. We spoke yesterday. Yeah, the Supreme Court basically reeled in the honest services statute, which has been a catch-all prosecutorial tool to go after public corruption, both in the federal level. Um, Senator Menendez is under uh, is being charged in New Jersey on this statute, and at the state and local level. So you've seen a lot of prosecutions of state and local officials, and Governor McDonald and his wife were the latest high-profile one. Now, this was a unanimous decision here. What can future cases take away from this? Well, the government's going to have to do more work before it goes after um, what it sees as public corruption. No one wants to see public officials bought and sold. They want to believe that the public servant's acting in the public's interest. But the government had a very um, liberal view of uh, what public corruption entailed and had a very limited view of what they had to prove to establish it. So we are in a point in this country where you know, people realize that a quid pro quo is illegal bribery, you know, this for that. But under Supreme Court precedent, almost anything is a quid. I mean, you know, you give somebody a burger, hamburger, you take them to a ball game, anything was that. And the quo was supposed to be the official act that they did in return for that. And so that was the open question coming into this case, was what constitutes an official act? Surely if somebody wrote a bill for somebody or they, they somehow took an action for that person, that would be considered a quo. But in Bob McDonald's case, what you had was a governor who, on behalf of a constituent business, held a reception in his uh, the governor's mansion to promote this business along with others. He set up meetings for constituent business with his agencies. He never put his thumb on the scale. He promoted a business that was, again, it was a Virginia business and he did that for hundreds. They proved through the trial. He did that for hundreds of businesses and you would expect your leaders to do that. And so the court said, no, we need more than that. That does not count as an official act. You have to do something. You have to make a decision that affirmatively puts your thumb on the scale and that wasn't enough. So the, what, he, what McDonald was doing could be described as constituent services. I mean, he, there were some things that, that Chief Justice Roberts notes in his opinion that were distasteful. Uh, he says that they, they, they used pretty poor judgment. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that what you can't – when you're looking at the quid pro quo relationship, you can't be so disgusted by the quid that you forget to look for the quo. And so in this case, you're wondering why a businessman is paying for his daughter's wedding, why he's buying him a watch, why he's giving them these loans. It all reeks and there's no doubt about it. But that's a different thing than saying there was a federal crime committed here. These may be ethics violations or other things. They might even be crimes. But you have to have a certain level of proof and that this case didn't rise to that. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts writes here, officials might wonder whether they could respond to even the most commonplace requests for assistance and citizens with legitimate concerns might shrink from participating in democratic discourse. This concern is substantial. White House counsel who worked in every administration from that of President Reagan to President Obama warned that the government's, quote, breathtaking expansion of public corruption law would likely chill federal officials' interactions with the people they serve and thus damage their ability to effectively perform their duties. Six former Virginia attorney gen attorneys general, four Democrats and two Republicans also filed an amicus brief in this court echoing those concerns, as did 77 former state attorneys general. 
uh, from states other than Virginia, 41 Democrats, 35 Republicans, and one independent. Yeah, well, if you look, think about it at the federal level, when our Commerce Department used to go on trade missions, and a lot of the big companies would go with them because we're promoting our goods and services abroad. And if you could take that and then just find out that at some point in the chain and the, in the preceding or following few years, they gave a contribution to the president's party and that allowed you to establish that sort of quid pro quo, the government would be unworkable. And cer certainly for a chief executive of state, he, you know, all of these guys, you look at Rick Perry, you know, Texas is open for business. They're constantly promoting their businesses. And that's what McDonald was guilty of doing. Now, using poor judgment in addition to that. You went to jail under the same statute, mm -hmm. this broad, vague statute that as we've discussed before, Antonin Scalia noted somebody could call in sick and go to a baseball game and that would actually constitute honest services fraud under this statute. So mm -hmm. uh, how similar was what happened to you to what happened to Bob McDonald? Well, it was somewhat different. We had one instance where the official act was in question. Um, a guy that I was friends with in the Justice Department, we were looking into a project. I sent him an email and asked him if he could look into it. He forwarded the email to a colleague in the different department who handled it and said, I don't, I don't have any stake in the outcome. I don't care how this comes out. I just want to get back to the guy and tell him what's going on. That forwarding of an email was viewed as an official act, even though he had no say in the matter and took no interest in it. Um, the government said because his job was to interact with the public and be that sort of facilitator, that alone made it an official act. So we saw the craziness firsthand. My first trial occurred before the skilling decision, which reigned the uh, statute in a little bit, and my second one came after it. Um, you know, this was a case, this, this, this was a statute that Justice Scalia and two others had voted to strike down. And so some thought this decision today would be that would, because it is completely unworkable. I think this will help. I don't know if this will be the end of this statute's review though. In terms of, of narrowing further, mm -hmm. what – are there further cases that are – that deal with this statute that would actually uh, help narrow the case for uh, – narrow the statute further? Well, we're going to see some questions in the Menendez – Senator Menendez's trial that will come up. And I don't even know how this – this is too new to know how this case will impact his. But um, certainly as this affects state and local officials, you have to question whether the federal government has the police power to you know, basically enforce ethics codes for state and local public office holders. And what we haven't seen is a new application to the private sector. So all these cases where you're talking about an official act, well, what does that mean to a you – know, I, I always think of a Yankee Stadium vendor who charges $5 for a hot dog that is $2 on the street. Isn't he depriving me of my honest services because I could get that elsewhere and he's – you know, I mean you could go on and on to the point of how is the federal government going to decide when I've been deprived of my honest services? What does that even mean? So I think this is – I think there's more to come on this but this was a good first step. Based on your reading of this opinion, yeah. do you get a sense that they were looking for a way to strike this down or looking for a way to not strike this down? Well, I think the – uh, Chief Justice and Justice Alito, when they voted to uphold the statute in skilling, um, there was thought that they might strike it down then. Uh, and then we saw them do that in uh, – we saw Chief Justice Roberts do that in the um, Obamacare cases. Uh, there are some people who are always looking for ways to keep Congress's statutes alive. And so I think they weren't going to get that broader ruling. And so it was important that they had a unanimous ruling here to get this. I think if, a, if Justice Scalia – 
had remained on the court, you would have seen a concurring opinion that said, we, we got to go a step further and you would have had a couple justices joining him. But I think it was important for Roberts to have a unanimous court at least say, we got to push you back a little bit. Kevin Ring is vice president at Families Against Mandatory Minimums. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>